I was tweeting about a lot of it still, nights and weekends, like just what I found interesting. And I got a lot of notice on Twitter within the kind of Helium deep in space for that and started getting like Helium related job offers basically. I also really learned the power of like social media and creating content, not just consuming it and like putting it out into the world. Because if I hadn't been sharing what I'd learned, like I definitely wouldn't be talking to you here today. Welcome to the Imagine AI Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Madden, and today we have with us Connor Lovely. Connor, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, given that it's uh, 6 a.m. That's really quite early in the morning, so... Thanks. Yeah, I've uh, literally just uh, woken up and got my setup in motion here. I've set my Calendly to six in the morning because that's like the earliest I figured that I could wake up and get going here in South Korea. I've been back in South Korea for three weeks now, and it actually is really good to be get up early and do all my work in the morning because that's when people are still up in America. And it's nice to get like a block. Like usually I work for six, seven hours before I kind of take it easy in the afternoon yeah it's nice to get up and get your work done but how are you doing today yeah no i'm good it's not uh not 6 a.m here it's about 4 p.m in the afternoon i had no idea where in the world you'd be whenever i booked this interview so sorry about the early hour but i know you travel so much that yeah just figured any open time would be acceptable no worries at all this is what i i set for myself we met in amsterdam at the uh, balaji's the network state conference what a great event do you have memories or highlights of that yeah i think one highlight was definitely meeting you right it's, it's cool where we've kept in touch and have this interview going today yeah so i was actually there for i believe it was yeah solana breakpoint i work in crypto for a blockchain infrastructure company was there for crypto kind of bd things for solana breakpoint apologies network state conferences i think very analogous related kind of complementary to crypto but obviously not focused just on crypto so i just was lucky enough to be able to catch his conference which i you know i think very highly of him as a thinker investor builder the day before the crypto conference I was actually there for. I was very inspired and motivated by the Network State Conference. I loved how real world kind of it was focused. Like crypto can be very like hypothetical and abstract at times and extremely early stage in terms of trying to find product market fit. And you know, a lot of the founders at the Network State are doing very real, very big things in the world, like building new cities, creating software that makes construction, zoning and permitting much faster. Just things that have a lot of positive real world impact on people, I think is what a lot of network state founders were focused on. And I thought that was really, really cool. And I think crypto played some small part in some of their projects or could in the future potentially, but it didn't need to. And I think there's obviously like, even though I'm a crypto bull, I've been working in crypto for a couple of years now, there's obviously a lot of value that gets created outside of crypto. And it was just good kind of fresher reminder of that. Yeah, definitely. I uh, particularly enjoyed how there were 40 different speakers in the day conference and how Balaji started it off, how he said, he's like, I want to kind of make this like a TikTok of conferences. And every speaker just had 10 minute slot and nobody went over 10 minutes. Some people were really only like three to five minutes long. I think fourth of the speakers had like a pre-recorded a conversation with Balaji that was edited up and put on the screens like Vitalik for example. And what is Iotex? Iotex is a blockchain infrastructure company, which basically means we're creating and building software for crypto startups, crypto companies. I would say like the subsector of crypto that we really have focused on both in the past and, and currently are both the real world asset sector of crypto and also the deep in sector of crypto, which has become much hotter recently. It's really kind of caught fire narrative wise 
investment wise, which is awesome. But those two subsectors of crypto are very closely related. I mean, I would say like real world assets, real world assets is basically representing anything in the real world on chain. It could be a car, it could be a Wi-Fi router, it could be a US treasury bond, right? So like representing those items on chain, giving them an identity on chain and, you know, doing things on blockchains is interesting if they're public blockchains, because things that are committed to chains are immutably committed, meaning they can't be changed. So like if you put your US treasury bond on chain and say that you own it and sign that with your wallet, like no one can claim that or take it away from you. It allows your US treasury bond to become composable with other things that are going on in the crypto world, like maybe lending against that asset or using it in some other capacity on chain. So that's kind of my explanation of like real world assets and getting them on chain. And then DPIN stands for decentralized physical infrastructure networks. And I would say DPINs are basically made up of real world assets. So there might be like one of the largest DPIN projects that many people are aware of is called Helium. And they've been around in a crypto sense since about 2019 is when they launched their token. But they're looking to basically build out wireless networks using in a, in a kind of distributed decentralized way using token incentives. So they've created this token. They issued the token to people that buy Wi-Fi routers and set them up and help build out this network, create coverage. And then um, those token incentives are obviously worth something. That's kind of like the motivation and reward for people to go and do this. And you, you ideally create this kind of like circular feedback loop where if I'm contributing something to the network, I'm getting something in return in terms of token incentives. And then I'm also providing, you know, say like wireless coverage that other people can use. So it's like the usage of blockchains and token incentives to create token economies in the real world. So a very long explainer for like IOTEX is building blockchain infrastructure for real world asset and deep in use cases. And these are kind of all the things I just mentioned, representing devices on chain, making them composable, creating the ability for these devices to kind of be involved in decentralized finance in terms of lending and borrowing. Also like trying to make their data useful as well. So that's my day job, what I'm doing at IOTEX, business development for them. Um, it's been super, super interesting. I've been in the deep end space for the entire time I've been in crypto. So since 2020 and IOTEX is a infrastructure leader in that sector. So it's been really cool to stay involved with the space, talk to a lot of different projects, kind of keep my thumb on the pulse of things. Yeah, definitely. And so when did you join IOTEX? Yeah, I joined IOTEX in May of 23. So about, I guess, eight months ago now. And it's been awesome. So you got into crypto in 2020. And how old are you? Yeah, I'm 25. 25. Cool. So about four years ago, 2020 now, crazy to say. Was that while you were in college? That's right. I was a senior in college at University of Florida in Gainesville. And I had heard about crypto before. I didn't really get it. I have a finance and kind of investing background. So didn't understand crypto from a technical computer science perspective at all. My dad had been bugging me about it for a few years, actually, which is really funny because usually like the younger generation's more hip and up to date on technology. But he, he's been a big kind of crypto believer for a while. Something that's really cool that we can go back and forth on now in terms of like our relationship now that, you know, he's very invested and aware of what's going on. And I'm obviously working in the space full time, but I'd heard about crypto some, you know, he'd talked to me some about it. I had a lot of free time on my hands senior year because I'd already uh, signed a job offer for after college and kind of had that all lined up. So I was looking at kind of passive income or like crypto mining, you know, schemes, ideas, <laughs> like th things I could do to just make some extra side money to, to travel some more. And I actually got an Instagram ad for helium miners. It was one of the most like fortuitous 
you know, interesting fate, God, you know, things ever. It's a really well done ad. And I just immediately, even as a non-technical person could, could really understand like why this was interesting, right? They were basically saying you would buy this small Wi-Fi router looking device for $250, create wireless coverage around your apartment or your home or wherever you set it up. And because you're contributing to that network, you earn tokens for it. And I just thought that was very um, viscerally like interesting and kind of clicked in my head very quickly. The Helium team's always done a great job of like having a very clean user experience and the ad copy was very simple. So like I was able to understand it even knowing really not much about crypto at all. So I bought one of those miners, convinced my roommate to do his, that as well. And we set them up like across the street from each other to build out our own little network in Gainesville. And they started making a ton of money at that time. So we scaled the business as quickly as we could, got up to like a hundred hotspots in Gainesville and Miami and did a lot of basically early stage helium mining, dove deep on the tokenomics, all of that stuff. And that was really my intro to crypto, I would say. You're getting into helium, making a router in, in 2020 when you're starting to produce this helium network tokens and the price of it is like $1.50 or so. And then over the next year, it goes up to a high of more than $50 on, in November 21. Just <laughs> basically the high of everything was you know, November 21. And so what was that journey like for you seeing that net worth increase? so quickly and I'm sure you kind of expanded operations maybe and what was that time like for you and if you could talk about that and then the subsequent fall yeah I mean it was both like one of the most interesting business opportunities that I think has presented itself to me and also just like a mad dash to capitalize on the reward system that was in place and to learn as much as we could about I mean both the helium project specifically but also crypto in general yeah I mean like even in the beginning we each had one hotspot once we got them working, Helium had a very front-loaded token incentive kind of mechanism, which I think makes sense theoretically, but I think they probably overdid it. I think everyone kind of agrees they overdid it. The first people or first thousand people even to buy some piece of hardware from some company they'd never heard of for $300 connected to their Wi-Fi, right? It might be like security concerns or whatever else. Those people should be rewarded more than someone who is installing the millionth hotspot, right? When this thing has been tested and background checked and everything else. So the more risk you take generally, like the higher you know you want your reward to be. And that's the idea of, of front-loading token incentives. But I think Helium overdid it a bit and also just launched almost at a perfect time right before the biggest crypto bull run of all time, right? They obviously can't control their token price. It just mooned for a lot of reasons. But it was it was just really, really interesting. I, like We were making good money from the get-go. That good money turned into great money. We did kind of what we saw as the only responsible thing to do there was, which was to scale the business just as quickly as we could. Right? Like create as much coverage as we could, follow kind of all the tokenomic rules to make sure that coverage was useful and very widespread and uh, contiguous in terms of being connected. Like You don't want to have a a coverage zone drop off in between two zones that have coverage. So my business partner and one of my best friends, Jonah, at the time, we were roommates in college. We just like went super deep on the Helium project, learned all the tokenomics, reinvested a lot of our earnings into more hardware, scaled the operation, installed a bunch of hotspots down here in Miami too, where his family lives. So just became very busy senior year, but like in a fun kind of good way. And it was just a great intro into crypto and kind of set me up for what the next stage of my career was, which I was tweeting like a lot about Helium and what I was learning kind of in real time and putting out threads on tokenomics and just like all the stuff that I found very fascinating. 
And what's funny about it is I mentioned I'd already had that full-time job lined up after college. That was in strategy consulting with Boston Consulting Group. So I knew I was moving down to Miami, knew I was going to take like a traditional finance job. And I did. And I worked there for six months, but I was still very much you know, involved, not with the mining anymore. We kind of stopped the mining as the rewards decreased, but still involved with the community, still a bag holder, you know, still keeping up to date with what was going on. And I was tweeting about a lot of it still nights and weekends, like just what I found interesting. And I got a lot of notice on Twitter within the kind of helium deep in space for that and started getting like helium related job offers basically in my DMs. Like it was, it was so crazy. I also really learned the power of like social media and creating content, not just consuming it and like putting it out into the world. Because if I hadn't been sharing what I'd learned, like I definitely wouldn't be talking to you here today. Just a hundred percent. Even if I was the same exact person and I did all the same things and I learned all the same things, the single change of like tweeting those things out, it made all the difference. Um, and I'm sure you, you know, you can relate with all the content stuff you've done. It's just like, you don't want to be just a, a consumer of content. You want to be producing it as well. Yeah, definitely. That was actually my 2024 New Year's resolution is to produce more than I consume as, as far as content goes. And I think that's a huge point you just made, just how not being afraid to put yourself out there and put your thoughts out there, your viewpoint, and getting ready for the crickets, getting ready for pushback maybe, but it doesn't matter because as long as you just keep up with it, you'll people will start paying attention and you'll grow that following and you don't know what kind of opportunities are going to come your way through DMs and just through this network effect that you're this network that you're building. Very cool to see that the crash was hard. Yeah, so let's talk about that real quick. You'll know and as I'm sure any of your listeners will know that have listened to the podcast up to this point. This past cycle both like you know, starting in 2020, the whole run up through November of 21, the whole crash down to whenever the bottom was, maybe like a year ago, was my first cycle in crypto. So a lot of lessons learned, like a lot, a lot of painful lessons at times. Really underestimated, I would say, how like violent the kind of like upside swings and downside swings could be. Like crypto is volatile, but you know, you don't know volatility until you're mining a token at one, it goes to 55, and then it goes down to maybe two. Or 250. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. And now it's back up to, you know, eight. And yeah. I'm excited about the future, right? So that all affected me in a couple of different ways. I mean, net worth wise, right? Like it's awesome to see your net worth skyrocket and then it sucks to see it get crushed down. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to mark your net worth in your mind at the all time highs mm-hmm. because it's just not what it will be, especially like if you're not selling the coins. If you sell the coins and you have cash in your bank account, that's awesome. And those gains are realized. You can pretty much trust the cash in your bank account will be safe. But when you're marking your net worth in, in terms of tokens, like that can get pretty, pretty ugly pretty quickly. So yeah, seeing the price of HNT just get absolutely crushed, that obviously sucked. I think what was more impactful to me was that I ended up taking one of those Helium related job offers in January of 22. So I guess it's been a little over two years now. I went to go co-found basically like a crypto mining company, but it was focused in on Helium and related kind of deep end projects. So buying physical hardware, setting it up, earning tokens from that. It was basically like a venture backed crypto mining company. So we raised a $2 million seed round. We had a $5 million series A round, like all committed like signed term sheets and everything. And it just completely fell apart as the market was crashing, as Sam Bacon freed, it was <laughs> committing fraud and all this other crazy stuff was going on. The investors just kind of got cold feet. Our CEO just didn't do a great job of like 
closing them either. Right. So there was a lot of tumultuous times there. And like, it took a lot out of me to go make the leap from like a very stable, prestigious, safe kind of career in strategy consulting to make the leap to a crypto company, co-found it, like put my heart and soul into it, have it kind of be like ripped out of my hands by factors I couldn't control, right? Like the market and other people that sucked. Like it was not fun at all. It was definitely a period of like soul searching after that for probably six months where for like three months, I was kind of like, Oh, I'm taking some time off. I ended up co-founding a residential cleaning company with Jonah, the same guy I mentioned earlier, who was also at the crypto startup with me. Super random, but we just like heard about this course, found out about this business model we were basically getting leads from like Google searches and phone calls and then hiring cleaners as contractors and matching the two was not any kind of like big success by any means. We ended up selling the company for like a small sum. It wasn't a fun business to run either, right? Like we weren't physically doing the cleaning, but even then it's just like massive logistics headache. People are never satisfied with how the house was clean, blah, blah, blah. So I did that for a couple months too. But then like saw my savings account kind of dwindling and dwindling and dwindling and realized like, we're not going to be able to scale the cleaning business as fast as we need to like support ourselves with. So then got back into the job search and that's when I landed at, at IOTEX. Yeah. And so I do want to make sure, when did the proof of coverage podcast come into being and is that involved with IOTEX? Yeah. So it's, it's related. Um, I actually don't know the first time we published an episode, probably like two years ago, but the origin of proof of coverage, and I'm glad we're talking about this because this is where we've got a lot to relate on, I think. So I yeah. got a microphone in front of me here and so do you. And I joined with my <laughs> <Yeah>. AirPods already in. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. used Riverside many times. Yeah, Proof of Coverage podcast was started by myself, Jonah, who's the guy I mentioned a couple of times, and Sal and Mahesh, who are both investors, general partners at Escape Velocity Ventures, which is a crypto-focused investment fund that they founded. Jonah and I have known them for a while. We're pretty good friends personally. They'd invested in a previous company of ours, but we were just kind of all talking through the run-up of crypto and saw that no one was really covering this emerging sector of crypto called Deepin or called Helium or Filecoin or whatever it was kind of very early on. And we thought we had some good takes, could get some interesting founders on. Podcasts are a dime a dozen, I think. But I think once you get to your 10th or 20th episode, it's like you're in the top, like 90% of podcasts don't get to the 10th episode or something. It's like a lot of people start them, not a lot of people actually continue them and carry on. We started out as a kind of very haphazard, not fully professional. The first episode was just us four talking about what we were seeing. We started to have some founders on, but it was not on any schedule. It was kind of just like when we found a founder that was interesting, we wanted to get their story out there. About six months ago, through the crypto bear market, it was still a bear market at that time. We kind of felt the need to really double down on it. I would say like Sal and Mahesh especially have grown a lot in their careers kind of connection wise and in terms of who they know in crypto. So they're able to get pretty much any crypto founder on the podcast, which is incredible. I and mean, we've had some really, really top people recently who I'll, I'll name in a second, but they were basically starting to get better and better guests. We also added as a co-host, Sammy Kassab from Masari, which is one of the biggest crypto research firms. I mean, he's just a great guy to work with in general, but he's also very plugged in on the research side, crafts great questions, asks them in a really cool way. So it's, it's pretty much him and I now doing most of the co-hosting. Sal's taking a back seat. It's like working more on the fund itself. Mahesh will pop in for questions here and there, but you know, trust Sammy and I to, to do a good job. So it's been really cool to see the podcast evolve over time, but now we are pretty professional enterprise. I would say like we're recording twice a month, publishing episodes twice a month, you know, all on the same day. 
We've got a whole social clip regime, which I'd love to talk to you about here that I'm actually spearheading. And that's actually how to go full circle is like how we really like hit it off beyond like the typical conference talk and like, oh, who'd you like that spoke today, right? When we sat together at lunch, I very quickly found out that you had played a super large role in the proliferation of the All In podcast, you know, helping that kind of go mainstream on TikTok and creating short form social content for the All In podcast. Like I'm a big fan of that podcast. I've listened for a while. And I think that's, that's really where we hit it off was like both because content creators, you know, podcast hosts now, especially with you launching yours. So that's kind of gets us to where we're at today, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I should kind of recap the listeners as well. Like before starting my own podcast here, I was behind the scenes in the podcast industry for two and a half years. I was a former English teacher teaching English in different countries around the world. The pandemic hit, came back to America and started listening to a lot of podcasts and kind of realized living in China for a year and they everyone had TikTok. And I was like, what is this like short form video? Like it's really catchy. And, and I kind of was listening to all in pod and just clicked for me that like, hey, this stuff cut up and put on TikTok probably could do pretty well. And All In Pods, Pods all about, you know, the fan community. And there's some other guy that was making clips of David Sachs on posting the videos on Twitter. And so I just did it. I just loaded up a TikTok account and using Video Leap at the time to choose a clip that I thought was interesting, put captions. And yeah, it did really well from the get-go. Got 30,000 followers in a month. And I was just hooked and started doing it every day. I made sure to make a post or two. And my friend got involved, the one that got me into Twitter and got me into the All In Pod, actually. And he started making clips, too. And we kind of realized that this was um, a service we were providing them, you know, for free. But this could be a service that we could provide other podcasters for a price. So we started a short form media clip agency. And Harry Stebbings was our first client, Harry Stebbings of 20VC. And I uh, worked for him for a year, loaded up his TikTok account and started cross-posting those same videos onto Instagram and YouTube shorts. What was fun was that my friend and I made it a competition where each one of us had to post a video a day for Harry and we'd see whose video would do better. And I was a clear winner for a while and Spencer was just so like frustrated. Like, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing? <laughs> like, why can't I get good hits that be Madden? And yeah, eventually he got really good at it too. And now like, I'm not ashamed to say that he is the better clip maker on par, on par better. You know, it was a lot of fun. So we really found a niche in the startup venture capital community. And for me, you know, as a former teacher, always thinking, you know, what can we get across in these clips that's teaching something? And that proved to be a good format for making a good clip. You know, you want to get something of value across to the to the listener as, so that they, you know, like it, want to hear more, want to hear the next clip and want to share it to somebody else. So that kind of brings it up working two years behind the scenes and like, what are these people doing? Essentially, they're just interviewing a guest and, you know, thinking of good questions to ask. And then the post-production is so important. And I knew how important, how powerful editing was. And so like, we're having this conversation now and it probably lasts an hour or so, but going to cut it up to 30, 40 minutes. And we're both going to sound really smart and good. <laughs> and then the clips that come out of it, we're having a conversation, but then there's going to be three to five, maybe more clips that on their own in a 20 seconds to people posting longer videos, two, three minutes longer. As long as it's like a succinct story or point or something that's getting across can be worth posting. I realized that I wanted to be in front of the camera. I wanted to be at the top of the funnel of this content machine. And AI was something I've been interested in a long time. And Imagine AI Live Conference founder kind of pulled me in to help spearhead the social media presence. And 
I knew that podcast was a great way to get original content out there. And so yeah, it was just a match made in heaven. And we're two months away from the first conference now and things are going really well. And also, I, I remember talking to you. I was so anxious to like start this project. At the time, I think I told you, I was like, I think I can do this every day. I think I can talk to a new person every day, get a clip out every day. And then I quickly realized when I started doing it myself that, no, this is way more of a process. And your cadence of two quality interviews a month, that's a good, very sane cadence. I'm getting up to two a week here. You're my fifth interview this week. You know, I've got the machine behind me where we'll get the cuts out. I'm still trying to get the clip game up to speed. There's the clip creation and then the clip distribution. And they're two different things. And right now, uh, clip creation is going great, but it's the distribution of it across channels. And it's like, okay, so I got to spend 30 minutes here thinking of what to write with the clip and get it out across all these channels. I'm working to find a good social media manager, virtual assistant that can help me with the cross posting. That's kind of up to speed of where I'm at and you know why we're talking here today too and on my podcast. I know that you had some questions. You're spearheading the short form for your podcast. I'd be happy to talk more and give you what I think. What specific tools you use both for like the creation of social clips and, and also like pulling out which parts of the episode are best for social clips. I tried Riverside's AI thing. It was not that good. No, not very good. And our processes are very quite similar up into making the actual video where like you going through and marking the clips yourself. That's what we still do. Well, it's a chance like ideally you're going to be watching through the full episode again anyways to see if there's anything you needed to cut out. And that's a good time to like review the video, take away notes and then the clips like what's going to be a good clip. And for me, I've done this 6,000 plus clips in the last two years or something <laughs> and just have an ear for it you know it's the opening line that's so important you know the opening line in itself should be a hook if the opening line's not a hook then you need a red hook or something that you're putting on the video to explain what the value is explain what the person's going to get out of the video so it's nice when the clip in itself can lead with the hook where the person's saying the hook but otherwise you have to have a red hook and so for where our production differs is that we have at editors in the Philippines that are hands as far as editing. We used to do the editing all ourselves. We still do editing, but the way to scale it is that you get video editors that know your style and can knock out a, a clip in two to four hours around. Then it's like handcrafted where it feels like, you know, more effort was put into it. Captions, you know, have gotten really good. The AI has totally improved captions where you don't have to spend a lot of time on those anymore. And that saves everybody time and you can get more done. Sometimes all you need is captions. Like, captions are minimum. Like, sometimes I see people that you know, post clips and stuff, like Jason Calacanis on This Week in Startups. Like, they post a clip and I'm just like, oh, where's the captions? You need captions because so many people aren't listening, you know, with audio. The amount of people that are going to listen to this full podcast versus the amount of people that are going to watch and listen to the clips that I'm going to make of this podcast, it's a factor of one to ten at minimum. Hopefully, there will be a viral hit somewhere or something will do well. The rate She'll be one to a hundred, one to a thousand of, you know, more than that. Nobody has time to check out full episodes anymore. And like, it takes a lot to get committed, you know, get, get into the full episode. It's the clips and then the clips bring the, the brand 
and the name recognition and the, and the brand and name awareness. That's what the end driver for me and for the Imagine AI podcast and the conference is. If people know about the event, if they know what who Chris Madden is and what I'm about, that's a win. That's you know what I'm trying to improve now. And then the idea is that the money comes later, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, people's attention spans are so short these days, like myself included, you almost have to like actively combat the shortening of your attention span by time spent on social media. You have to like read books, like print books and how you think about the whole thing. And I think you're definitely like the king of short form social content clip wise. I don't know if I know of anyone that that does it more often or in a better way. So I I appreciate you uh, weighing in on our strategy. Yeah. Thanks for that, man. It's been a great ride and, you know, love this niche that uh, I'm in and my co-founder too. And we just totally feel like, you know, this is kind of what we're meant to do. And we definitely have that clip brain now. And uh, (laughs) I kind of joke about how, you know, social media has probably morphed my neuron, just my, how my brain works over the last two and a half years and all these notifications and stuff. You get used to it after a while. Oh, like we just posted on all in pod, some clip and Chamath retweeted it and it got like a million views. It was like, oh, cool. We got one after, you know, hit after hit, you come get some dry sprouts. And then when you're managing several different accounts, several different podcasts, it's like just turns into this kind of managing thing where it's like, okay, you got to make sure the machines move in everywhere and the content's getting out because it's a daily thing. And oh, the last point is that for the editor, for the person working on it, it, they've got to be interested in it. For me, it's like I could never do like a sports podcast or like a, a comedy show, even though like I enjoy watching sports and listening to comedy now and then. But it's like I don't want to spend my time watching through full episodes of this and making clips of it. And that to have something, uh, somebody that's interested in the crypto space be working for you, be working on the clips is really important, I think. Yeah, man, it was really cool catching up. And next time we talk, I promise I won't have just woken up. <laughs> No worries. Have a great day. You've got a whole day ahead of you. Yeah, have a good rest of your day and evening ahead of you. For sure. See ya.